And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm here, so <laughs> I'm Shea Good Sugs in and I'm down to dunk. Howdy, Oklahoma. My name is Chet Holmgren and I'm down to dunk. Dead gum. I'm Josh Giddy and I'm down to dunk. This is Lou Dort and I'm down to dunk. <laughs> I have I didn't, is that like you eat it together? Everybody tells me okay. to get the bag of burgers. I need like a straw, like Howdy. I'm a, I'm an artist on the court. This is Jay Will, and I'm down to dunk. My name is Kenrich Williams, and I'm down to dunk. It might be Aaron Wiggins. This is a troll. It's a troll. I'm trolling. Howdy, Papa. Because I, I think it would take away from who he is, you know? Yeah, 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 but. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Oklahoma. <laughs> I love Oklahoma to death. This is Lou Dort, and I'm down to Dort. Perfect. Good. Very good. I like the hat. You bro. like the hat? <laughs> Vava. This is J-Dub, and I'm down to dunk. I've been doing a lot of dunking. <laughs> Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. With me, never, ever, here, actually not never, ever, sometimes. Yeah, when don't you're, start off with a lie. When you're in town. <laughs> Joining me when he's in town here at the Down to Dunk Studios. It's my good friend Alex Spears. Alex, what's up? What's everyone? What's up, everyone? <laughs> I've never been to this new uh, desk. Hey, very professional. I like it. We're here. It feels good. Probably come back for the fry pot. I like it so much. Hey, you should. You should join us for the fry pot. It'd be much more fun. Um, well, something else that's really fun is the Thunder just destroying the Timberwolves last night. In OKC, an impressive win. One that I thought, I mean, I didn't feel that good about it going into it. I don't know about you. And, and maybe that's just the the freshness of the the loss to the Lakers. Where, like they, The Thunder played reasonably well, but lost. But I did not expect a 20-point win, a 23-point win in Oklahoma City last night. Yeah, the game earlier in the season was close. Yeah. It made us feel a little bit more confident coming off of the play-in game. But at the same time, it does feel like one of those teams that we just don't match up great against. Mm-hmm. I still have that that memory of that play-in game. It's just forever going to be burned yeah. into my mind, even though that team didn't have Chet, didn't have Kenrich, all these other guys. Right. Um, this, like, I, I want to start here, Andrew. I think, tell me if you think this is crazy. I think that that was <laughs> their best offensive performance yeah. since the Russ era like since whoa now here, here's here's my case for it okay let's hear it so you there are games you can find yeah. where they scored more points per 100 possessions sure for instance uh this year there have been five games like that the utah game uh the portland game when they shot 61 percent yeah i was three. gonna say that was one uh the clippers game and the uh, two mm-hmm. of the golden state games mm-hmm. so they've had games where they scored more efficiently um, I would argue, you know, two of those teams, terrible, Utah-Portland. Yeah. The Clippers game didn't have Kawhi. Yeah. And then Golden State, one of them didn't have Draymond. 
Yeah. One of them was a very good game. Yeah. Uh, with, with like everyone healthy. The that Wolves team, though, all those teams I just mentioned, none of them are good defensively, except for the Clippers. But again, they didn't have Kawhi. Yeah. We're talking about the number one defense in the league. Mm-hmm. In the league. And they put up 129.6 points per 100 possessions on them. Yeah. And not just that, Andrew. It was ethical. Ethical hoops last <laughs> night. They only had 16 free throws. Yeah. There's only been true. one game this season with fewer free throws for the Thunder. And that wow. was the Portland game where, again, they shot 61% from three and did yeah. not need to get to the line. Yeah. More things. That was tied for their season high in assists with 35 they were passing the ball so well. And, and I think that somebody asked a, a Twitter question later about, like, how were we able to do this so well? And they mentioned Chet's passing. Chet's passing. And it, Vava. Vava. Giddy. SGA was awesome. SGA was unbelievable last night. In the half court, OKC, against the number one defense in the league, scored 120 points per 100 possessions. Wow. Do you know how many teams this season have scored better in the half court against that Minnesota uh, Timberwolves defense? How about zero? Uh, wrong. <laughs> it was actually Phoenix. Phoenix did did it. Oh, once. interesting. Yeah, uh, it was an early game. Things were still going. Actually, they weren't going well, but they just had a good game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then listen to this at the rim. Thirty percent of their shots last night, the Thunder took, which isn't actually that much. That's a thirty-fifth percentile. Yeah. They shot ninety point five percent at the rim. Wow. No team has shot over 80% at the rim against Minnesota this Wow. Season. And listen to this. Only six teams have shot over 70% at the rim against Minnesota. Dallas, Phoenix, New Orleans twice, Golden State, Sacramento, and OKC twice. Wow. OKC shot 70% at the rim against them in that first game, the three-point yeah. loss. Yeah. So I think you put all that together. It wasn't like they were gaming the system, getting to the line like 40 times, which, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of what the Timberwolves are doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what they were, Ant did. And, and it wasn't like they had some amazing game from three. I mean, it was a good game from three. They shot over 40%. Yeah. But it wasn't like the Portland game where they shot 61%. Yeah. They were just incredible. Like, the mm-hmm. offense was incredible. Everything was clicking. And we saw in that first game when Minnesota went to the zone, mm-hmm. it just gummed everything. Up. Oh, it, it, everything was disgusting. That's what kind of, yeah, that's what, because they were up big. They had scored 60 points in the first half against the Timberwolves in the first yeah. game in Minnesota. And then they did it again <clears throat> in this game. They were scored 66, and you kind of wondered, okay, like they had already gone to the zone in this, in this game, and it didn't bother the Thunder. And, Honestly, like there was nothing that bothered them. In fact, like the Timberwolves had to adjust to them later in the game, and it was just kind of too late. Yeah, and I was going back and reading uh, Dane Moore's tweets. Who Dane Moore does a Timberwolves podcast. Yeah, and he was talking in the first half. He was tweeting, "Listen, Chris Finch does not like to change their approach. Like Mm -hmm. he likes to stay big, Mm -hmm. but I think this might be a game where they need to rethink it a little bit." Yeah, which how cool is that? This is very cool. You're asking. You're asking. He. I mean, Dane knows how good that Timberwolves team is. Yeah, he's talking about the number one defense in the league, maybe needing to make an adjustment to match yeah. the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's why I think it was. I think it. I think there's a case. It was their best offensive performance in in years. Yeah, and and like you said, against the best defense. Yeah, against that, a, that's the context against yeah. a team that like stylistically has bothered the Thunder and. I give so much credit to the players, but also to Mark, who, like, they were ready. They were prepared. 
I was I was thinking, okay, the Timberwolves are going to throw this zone at the Thunder at some point in the game. And when they do, like, are they going to be ready for it? And they clearly were. Like, they were just very, very good against the zone. They were finding a lot of creases in it and getting to the hoop. And they, and some of it was like they made a lot of their open threes. You know, Dort was five of six from three. Dub was four of six from three. Chet was three of six. Uh, Kenrich was two of three. Joe was two of three. Wiggs was one of two. Like that helps a ton. You know, they were 18 of 39 from three. Like that's, that's very, very helpful. But at the same time, Timberwolves shot 44% from three. Yeah, the, they were both hot. They were both hot from three. The The thing about the Timberwolves, like, they just couldn't get as many looks. It was really just Mike Conley, you know. Nas Reed and Mike Conley both had, like, a couple, some open threes. It, yeah. felt like, it felt like Mike Conley had, like, 100 threes. Because every time the Thunder would go on a run, Mike Conley would hit a three, it felt like. He was really good, but they, I thought the Thunder's defense was really good. I thought offensively, as you discussed, like, they were awesome. I thought really everybody played well. You know, Josh Giddy was back after injuring his ankle, which felt miraculous because it looked terrible last week when he went down. And he came back. And I thought, you know, he played 25 minutes. Like, he didn't play a ton. But I thought in the minutes that he played, I thought he looked good. I thought he was passing. I thought he was within the flow of the offense. He was a team high, plus 21. Yeah, I think what was exciting about that game for Giddy is I don't want to say it was the first time because I'm sure there's been other games where this has been the case but the fact that he took the fewest amount of shots in the starting five yeah that that signaled to me like okay this is like a new role for Josh because up until a week ago he was second on the team in field goal attempts yeah total field goal attempts for the season that has changed now, but I mean, those three guys, Dub, Chet, and Giddy, are all still really close. I mean, one game could turn it, but it does seem like this game. I mean, we'll see going forward if it really meant anything, but it mm-hmm. did feel like a shift in his role. Yeah. And part of that, I want to give him credit for. Part of that, I do want to blame the Wolves. Like, they started him off on Mike, or they started Mike Conley off on him. Mm-hmm. He got a lot of those assignments, which I just think is an awesome assignment for Giddy. Like, yeah. he's nine inches taller than Mike Conley. Mm-hmm. It makes it very easy for him to pass over him. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, they're playing Gobert on Chet. And, like, what is the benefit for Minnesota in that matchup? Like, how does that help Minnesota? Because Chet was pulling Gobert away, away from, from the, the paint. Yeah, yeah. And that's how you got so many of those guys cutting in behind. Mm-hmm. And Chet made a couple of those passes, too. Mm-hmm. I just was so confused about that approach. And... We talk a lot about how um, Chet kind of adjusts once he's seen a guy once. And I feel like a lot of times we're talking about defensively. Yeah. But I thought offensively oh. last night, you saw how, not just Chet, but how the Thunder were kind of getting Chet in better positions against Gobert. Yeah. Because I rewatched his attempts. He was 6 for 20 in that first game. Mm-hmm. There were the three-point loss. Yeah. So many of those attempts just felt like him looking rushed him trying to force something against Gobert, not nothing like setting anything up. It was more just like him getting the ball and then trying to do something yeah. on Gobert. Whereas there were a, a couple plays last night where like Chet was or Shea was screening for Chet. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another play. Oh, <laughs> the play where it was actually like the most impressive offensive play by Chet when he like ran into Dort at the top of the key first. Yeah, yeah. which looks terrifying because Dort's huge. <laughs> 
to hit him at that speed. And then he goes and hits that like pull up fall away mid range yeah. over Gobert. That was yeah. so pretty. Yeah. But I he just looked so much more confident offensively compared to that first game oh, against yeah. Gobert. He was just way more patient he in was, general yeah. than than he had been. Um I've got, I've got to step off the pod for a second, Al, if you want to answer some TQs. Yes, Andrew's got to step away from the pod. He had something to do at 10.30, which means you're going to get to talk to me. And thankfully, you guys sent in a lot of Twitter questions, and some of them I can answer. So uh, first, from Austin Wool- Woolish. It's half of his name. Uh, for the push-the-button crowd, how unlikely is it for a first-year playoff team to make the NBA Finals? So I didn't do a deep dive on this, but if you want to think for yourself, is there are there any recent teams who made, let's say, the Finals in their first year back in the playoffs? If you're thinking the Phoenix Suns, you are absolutely correct. The 20, uh, what was that, 2020-21 season? I mean, that was a team who hadn't made the playoffs since, I think, 2009-2010 uh, era. And when they finally did make it back, I mean, remember the bubble year, they won like all the bubble games, but they actually didn't get to the playoffs. That next year, they bring in CP3, they make the playoffs, and they make the finals. So it's not impossible. However, I do think it is very unlikely for a first-year playoff team to make the NBA finals. I mean, especially when you're adding someone like Chris Paul, you know, a veteran who's been in tons of playoff games. The Thunder don't really have that guy. In fact, I'm, as we're talking, I'm going to look up who has the most playoff games on the th- on the current Thunder roster. Would it be? Would it be Shea? Would it be Shea? Uh, maybe Davis Bertans actually. Um, okay, next question. But yeah, I, I think it's unlikely. The fact that we're even talking about it, though, I think is very exciting. Like we've even we've moved past the play-in. We've moved past even, like, I hope we make the playoffs. I hope we get one of the top six seeds. Now it's like, how unlikely would it be for us to make the finals after having not made the playoffs these last couple of years? Um, okay, let's go to the next one. Do This is from Ibrahim Kalim7. Do we get consistent Mitzic minutes? Or are there just certain matchups that fit Vava. And we did have another question about Mitic that was similar along this line. Basically saying, like, are we is this is this a change? Or because the Wolves play zone, is it nice to have someone like Mitic? And I will say, watching the game, when he came in at the start of the second quarter, I, I felt like he was incredible. Like it was so funny going back and looking at his box score at the end of the game, because you look at it and it's like, oh, he was was he terrible? Did I did, did I miss something? He was one for seven. Two points, four assists, missed all four of his threes, and yet when he came in in the in the beginning of the second quarter, I thought he was so good, just as like a kind of a floor general, bringing a lot of what Giddy brings to the floor. Now, obviously, he's not you know as big as Giddy; he's not going to rebound like Giddy, but that play he made, hitting a cutting, I think it was Kaysen, one of the, one of like the first plays of the second quarter. Like those types of plays, I felt like just continued the momentum from the first quarter and allowed the Thunder to just continue establishing themselves. I mean, it would have been very easy for them to start falling behind in that second quarter, but I felt like Mitic's presence 
really made that difficult for Minnesota because they can they continue to have this really high level playmaker out on the court. So in terms of going forward, I think it's it's obviously a wait and see. I do think that as the season goes on, we're going to see more minutes with Mitic just because he brings something that really only Giddy brings. And so if you can have another person like that coming in with some of these second units, I think that's just going to be super helpful. Now, maybe you can't play him in every matchup, though I will say there was a defensive play, and it ended in an N1 for Kyle Anderson, so it wasn't like some great success. But it just showed me that like Mitzic was really caring defensively, and it was early in that second quarter. They come down, they pass it to Towns, and Mitzic immediately runs over, doubles Towns with Kenrich, he passes it to Kyle Anderson. Micic moves off of Towns, finds the open man, which in that case was Nas Reed. Nas cuts to the basket, and Micic just gets in front of him and bumps him, just kind of throws him off his line. And so Nas Reed gives up. He goes back to the three-point line. And then Kyle Anderson got the N one. I thought that was a nice play from Micic, a guy who, you know, there have been times when I've thought like, oh, man, he's just going to get targeted so bad. And maybe that is the case. But I thought that was a play where it just showed him being really defensively active, knowing what his assignments were, knowing where he should be. And even though the play ended up in an N1, it was totally not his fault. Um, let's look at some of these other questions, other TQ questions. Oh, we got a quick one here from at uh, Holmgren Muse. Thoughts on Chet Holmgren future? I would say very good. Very good, Chet Muse. Very, very good. Yeah, now we're starting to get into like the all-star conversation. And uh, I did. I do think I made a pronouncement a few a few weeks ago that uh, Chet was going to be an all-star. Now looking at the actual names who will be up for the all-star game, less sure, less sure. Uh, I, th- I think hopefully if we have some calculator rats that are picking the reserves, they will have a better chance of picking Chet because, you know, all of his advanced stats like the EPM and uh, BPM, you know, he's like top 20, if not top 10 in all of those. So if we got some calculator rats picking the reserves, I think Chet's in. But the, just the fact that we are talking about a rookie potentially making an all-star game, and the, the, the scenario for that is so rare. And a lot of times it is guys who miss their first season, as we saw with Blake Griffin and Ben Simmons. Um, but the fact that we're even talking about that makes me feel like we have a top 20 guy, like a second top 20 guy on the roster right now. And I said a week ago that I had some tweet where I was just like I was just trying to guess like where people are ranking Chet right now in the league. And I said top 30-ish. Man, if 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 he makes the all-star game, I mean that's you gotta say that's top 24. I don't know. I, I feel like the, we might already have a top 20 to top 25 player on the team. Um, in addition to SGA, obviously, who's you know top three or whatever. Um, so yes, uh, very high. On Chet's future, Chet Muse. Uh, oh, let's let's do a quick non-thunder question at Jesse at Jesse Chords. Is it Troy's fault? Talking, of course, about Troy Weaver. Shout out to the Detroit Pistons who set the record. Now they could, I guess, they haven't set it in stone. They could still lose some more, but they set the record for most consecutive losses in a row with twenty-seven. Now, technically, and I hate that people do this, there is a twenty-eight loss record that stretched over two seasons for the Sixers. I don't honor that, but guess what? I think the Pistons are going to break that one, too. I think they're going to get to 29. Is it Troy's fault? I think it might be. I think it might be. Uh, You look at that team and the roster building, 
And it's so funny because you go back a few years when we started, you know, this rebuild. And me and Andrew, uh, to our detriment, were very high on the idea of BPA. No matter, no matter who's there, just take the best player available. The talent will figure itself out. And I think you can make a case that Troy has done that. All of his picks individually make sense in terms of the, like the best player available, the, the value that was there. And yet, there was never really a ton of thought put towards how all those pieces would fit together. And the fact that, it, this is crazy to think now in retrospect, because I didn't really feel this way this summer, but they had $30 million in cap space. And they used that cap space to do what? To get a couple seconds for taking on Joe Harris's contract, who's, who's done. He's done. He's probably done. Uh, they brought in Monte Morris, who would have been a nice addition, but hasn't played because he's been injured. Meanwhile, you flip it to Houston, who also had a lot of cap space, and used it to bring in real NBA players. Guys that you know, out of the gate, are still in their prime, can still play. Guys like, even someone like Jeff Green. Like, honestly, someone like Jeff Green would potentially help this Pistons roster. But, but you know, Houston also brought in Fred Van Vliet and these other guys. And you look back at last summer, it really does feel like a missed opportunity. And I think if we were Pistons fans this summer, we probably would have felt good about Troy's moves because we would be thinking, like, why would you want to bring in a bunch of old guys to take minutes from these young guys? But the difference has been between OKC and Detroit is that the drafting decisions with Presti have not necessarily been BPA. I mean, maybe you can look back and feel like they were BPA, but so many of those decisions were made with a much bigger idea in mind. And I just don't know that you can point to a bigger idea with the Pistons looking back at those draft picks beyond just taking the best player available. So uh, that has changed my opinion a little bit on drafting philosophy, I have to say. And maybe that is the future of drafting. Um, okay, next question from at Riley Storm Emoji. Riley, role player, enjoyer. Last offseason, how spicy of a take would it have been to say OKC will win 20 games by New Year's Eve? Well, it would have required some math on our part to know how many games are played by New Year's Eve uh, to actually have judged that correctly in terms of its spiciness. But yeah, the fact that we are getting to New Year's Eve, and what, what are they right now? They are 19-9. and nine. So they play the Knicks uh, tonight in Oklahoma City. And then what is their next game? They play the Knicks, and then they play Denver uh, at Denver on the 29th. That's a tough game. And then they play Brooklyn at home on New Year's Eve, which is a very winnable game. So it feels like they'll win at least one of these next three. So they'll get to 20 wins by New Year's Eve. Yeah, that is kind of shocking, actually. And, and stacking them up against these other West teams, I keep being amazed at how they just keep reestablishing themselves. Like I, like I wait, I keep waiting for one of these other teams behind them to really make a run. And, you know, the Clippers have made their run, um, although they've, you know, started to falter without having Kawhi there. The Kings have started to look a lot better. The Pelicans seem to start being being able to get it together. And yet, even with those little runs, like, OKC just continues to cruise and continues to set themselves apart. It does feel like those top three, and maybe I should include the Clippers in that because they've been really good when everyone's been healthy. But it feels like those top three especially have kind of set themselves apart, at least through this early stretch of the season. And I'm, I'm feeling more and more confident that we are going to get home court advantage. However, you look at what's behind them with the Clippers, Mavs, 
Kings, those three teams in particular, you do feel like it will tighten up eventually, but it certainly hasn't happened yet. I mean, they are, I mean, to be two and a half games in front of the Kings right now feel, feels amazing with the way the Kings are playing. Um, next question. Let's see, let's see. From Etsy. <sighs> I'm going to say your name wrong. I apologize. Uh, Jonatino. Anything? Anywhere close. Uh, what are your thoughts on trying to make a trade with the Hawks, the Atlanta Hawks, for Clint Capella? Bertans plus man to make the money right. I have to imagine that, I mean, Capella is still a very serviceable starting center in this league. I have to imagine there are teams who would be more willing to both give something up for Clint Capella, but also to like give him minutes as a starting center in the NBA. Because I don't think that would be the case with OKC. I'm, I'm not totally against the idea of getting a big at some point. Um, someone to com- both to compete with J-Will off the bench, but also someone who you can play next to Chet in some matchups. I don't know if Clint Capella would be my choice necessarily. Um, I think he's a perfectly fine player, but I don't know. I would like someone with a little more passing ability. I think of Clint Capella as just like a really strong defensive center and then a rim, rim running big on the offensive end. I would like someone kind of more in the mold of J-Will, like almost if you could find a better J-Will, um, and maybe that will become J-Will as he gets better, but someone who you can throw out there and is not just like a big body for you defensively who can also make some plays offensively and kind of fit into like the bigger idea of the Thunder. Um, Let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Oh, what about this? A negative question, potentially negative. At Landon Tech, when is it time to start worrying about Shea's three-point percentage? It has taken a pretty big dip this year, even though his overall true shooting percentage is up. That in and of itself, pretty amazing. Let's go take a look. At Shea's three-point percentage, he is currently shooting on the season 29.7%, which is the lowest of his career. Two seasons ago, he shot 30% from three. So he's even below that. He is taking one more three per game than he did last year. He actually kind of had a nice season last year. I mean, I know I complained about it in the moment because he's only taking 2.5 again a game. But he did shoot 35% which is like solid coming off that season where he shot 30%. I, I would say it's hard to say you're worried about that with Shea when he's as good as he is. I mean, we didn't even read his line last night, but he was 14 of 19 from the field against the number one defense in the league. And they, and they had McDaniels back, who is one of those guys you think of as someone who should theoretically give Shea trouble because – he kind of has that like Herb Jones mold of just like super long, strong. It didn't matter. 14 and 19, 34 points, six rebounds, nine assists. It's really hard to get too upset. The only reason why you would get nervous about Shea's three point percentage is if you don't see the growth from the other players uh, on the court with him. Now, obviously, off the bench, like, there's guys, you know, there's guys that we feel like can come in, Casey Wallace and Isaiah Joe being the main two. But in that starting lineup, if Shea is going to be this kind of three-point shooter, um, where he's just not taking a ton, when he is taking a ton, maybe, you know, best-case scenario, he's shooting around 35%, you really need the other guys to step up. And the main two guys I look at 
because I, I know Dort is going to take them. J-Dub and Chet. And I actually have a stat on this. Let me find it. Let me find it. Okay. This is a trivia question I was going to ask Andrew, but I will ask the listeners. If you are uh, driving around listening, actually, how would you be driving around listening? Because this is live on YouTube. Uh, hopefully, you're not driving around. You're at home, ignoring your family, watching down to dunk. How many games in his career has J-Dub taken at least six three-point attempts? Because last night, he was four of six from three, had a couple pull-ups, particularly at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Because you go into that fourth quarter, it's an 11-point game. You're, th- you're still thinking, like, okay, the, I mean, this is close enough where the Wolves can make a run. Like, they, the Thunder still have to come out and do something in this fourth quarter. And it starts off with two J-Dub threes and then the Chet three, and it feels like the game's over. Six three-point attempts in that game. How many games in his career has J-Dub taken at least, at least six three-pointers? The answer, I've given you some time to think, the answer He's been in the league, you know, two years now. Three, only three games. It was the LeBron setting the record game last year in L.A., February 7th. It was the first game of this season at Chicago, and then it was last night against Minnesota. So those types of games, like, and still, like, six doesn't feel that like that much. I mean, when you have guys around the league taking, like, double-digit threes per game, it just doesn't feel like that much. But the, we need more of those type of games. The fact that there's only been three in his career. Well, I'm not even talking about makes. This is attempts. He's only attempted six threes in a game. We need more games like last night. I don't even care if he's missing them. I need him to be taking six threes per night. Chet, I feel like, has definitely held up his bargain uh, on that end. I mean, he, he has been great from three being willing to take them most of the time. Obviously, we have talked about his like pump fakes and hesitancy in some games. But I thought last night in particular, not only was he good from three, but the byproduct of him taking those threes was pulling Gobert away from the basket, opening up that baseline to for, for some of those cuts that we saw. Dort, I feel comfortable, comfortable about. So then you get to like the Giddy-Shea conversation. Like, can you really get by with two... Not, I don't want to call them non-shooters because they're both willing to shoot. But in terms of how they are guarded, I mean, Shea still feels like he mostly gets guarded from the three-point line. Um, Giddy, I mean, it was this is another thing I hadn't brought up with Andrew. But even when they would put, like, McDaniels on Giddy, he was playing up on him so, so close to him. I was like, why? Just let him shoot. It's not a big deal. And meanwhile, you know, Giddy has, like, a really nice game as a result because – I feel like they played him in a way that worked to his strengths and allowed him to be more of a playmaker. So, yeah, going back to Shea's three-point percentage, if it's going to be this, the other guys have to step up. For this team to, like, truly reach its ceiling, I do think maybe we don't need to get the Shea season that we had a couple of years ago. You know, 2020, 2021, he took five threes a game, shot 42%. Okay, maybe that's asking for a little bit too much. But if we could kind of get a melding of the last two seasons where he's taking a few more threes, like three and a half per game. He's shooting 35%. I think that would really unlock some, (laughs) unlock some stuff. They were incredible last night, but unlock even more stuff for this team. Um, Next question, Patrick at Patrick Siebert. Should Shea be first team defense? Should he be? I mean, it's a Thunder podcast. So I feel like we got to say yes. Will he be? I can almost guarantee he won't be. I, it is, it, I feel like the lag time from when a guy gets recognized as a good defensive player 
to when he actually makes like a first team defense team, it takes a couple seasons. So I would if Shea makes like second team defense, I would be over the moon. I'd be thrilled. I I think that was so cool. I think he's on a path though, especially if they make. Well, they're gonna. I feel like they're gonna make playoffs. If he plays well defensively in the playoffs, I feel like that is the type of thing where it's going to get him more notice for that aspect. Now, the nice thing about Shea's defense is it's not just something that like you have to watch the games. You can look at the stats and see that he is like lapping the rest of the league in steals per game, which is only one indicator, but it is a nice, obvious indicator that he has gotten better defensively and is much more active defensively. So I don't think he's going to get first-team defense. I think that would take a few years of like media buildup because especially with all the defensive awards, like Defensive Player of the Year and then the, the defensive teams, personally, I feel like so much of these selections are driven by the major voices in NBA media, and I'm specifically thinking of Zach Lowe. Like, I feel like when Zach Lowe, and maybe we should throw the, dunk to, uh, the, uh, the dunker spot guys into this as well. Like, they're all recognized as being so smart that when they have strong opinions def- on defensively about players, I feel like that carries so much weight for the larger NBA voting population. And so that's almost the bellwether. Like, if, if Zach Lowe in February, March is talking about Shea as an all-defensive player, then I think it's, it could happen. But I still think we're a few years away from first-team all-defense. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, Andrew said he had a meeting at 10.30. It's now been 18 minutes that he has left me here. Okay, here's another question. At Pepsi United, there's only one question, really. If, and I mean if, Kevin Durant demands a trade and green lights OKC, are you in or are you out on the trade? Let's say we manage to keep SGA, Chet, and Dub. It's so funny that we've been having these trade conversations talking about the type of player that would theoretically fit all of these boxes, check all these boxes that we're looking for. You know, obviously we still want someone with size. We want someone who can defend bigs ideally, uh, but we don't want to give up, you know, our spacing. So if they could shoot as well, that'd be great. And honestly, if they could pass a little, that would be very helpful. We could fit them right in. And we never never once mentioned Kevin Durant, who checks all of those boxes, obviously. Um, if, if, that, if that trade was a scenario, and again, you could do it. i got to get this takeoff before Andrew gets back on. If you could do it without giving up SGA, Chet, or Dub, I think you would have to do it. You're talking about Kevin? Yeah, I'm talking about Kevin. Oh. Pepsi United asked about it. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's, here's, here's the thing with the KD trade ideas that everyone's throwing out there right now yeah once you trade kd it's over like you're, you're having to trade booker next like they are not going to trade kd let's wait for booker even if he asked out i don't think they're trading him similar to what joe Sy did the first time kd asked out and he was like yeah. no i'm why would i trade kevin durant now he eventually gave in but once you trade kd it's not like they have their young core back there with mm-hmm. cam johnson and mikhail bridges mm-hmm. like you're done because you're yeah. likely going to be getting kind of a, a package that Dr. <laughs> Dr. I almost call him Dr. Pepsi United <laughs> is, is referring to, which is that it would probably be a picks heavy base package, maybe some young guys. Yeah. Like that's not getting you anywhere if you're Phoenix. Like that's yeah. resetting your timeline. And at that yeah. point, you have to trade Booker, which Booker would get an incredible haul. I mean, they're as bad as it is for Phoenix, they do have an out, which I'm sure they don't want to do, but they yeah. do have an out that could return a lot. But I just don't think there's any chance they would trade KD. I don't think they should, and I don't think the Thunder should or would do it either. Why not, Andrew? Do you not agree he would fit? I mean, I I do. And he would only overlap for one year when the next big contracts hit. So yeah. he'd be an expiring. If he's, if he's old, whatever, trade him. No big deal. But it's like, you're giving up picks. Kaysen would probably have to be in it. That is, that is probably true. You would probably have to give up Kaysen Wallace for Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. Talking about Kevin Durant. Yeah, I know. I mean, he's, he's great. He, he is the one player where if they did make the trade for him, it would substantially tr- change uh, my feelings about this team in the oh, postseason. Dude, the expectations. I I don't think the Thunder want to fast forward their expectations. Because that would make them... The pe- fa- the, people would say the Thunder are now the favorite in the West. 
The fact is, though, like that's happening right now. The expectations for the Thunder are every time they beat a team like Denver or Minnesota, <laughs> like I don't think that they're they're they are where they would be if they got Kevin. No, I I I think it would it would lock it in. <laughs> it would ratchet things up so much. And then like, what if Kevin? Like Kevin's gotten hurt a lot. He has gotten hurt. And then if sure. you do, and you have like cashed in like your good first rounders and Casey Wallace and Josh Giddy and and Davis, you know Davis. Um, you know I I just am not. I don't know. I I just don't know that I want to do it for a thirty five year old Kevin Durant. If he wants to, if he wants to come here as a free agent to kind of rebuild his, a his free agent, yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's going to be so old. Yeah, yeah, he can come off the bench, whatever. Also, you know, I, I kind of want Kevin to lock in this legacy. Of, wow, petty! You're so petty. Oh, I, you don't want you don't want any redeemed team. Absolutely petty. This is absolutely petty. As a free agent, that would be the 26-27 season. Yeah, yeah. It's so far away. Come on, old man. He's already 35. He's 39. <laughs> I, w- I want Kevin to lock in the legacy that he could only win an NBA title with, with Steph. Steph. And he left a team that could have done it here and decided that he would go with Steph, and then also decided himself that it wasn't such a good idea, teamed up with Kyrie, left... Now he's in Phoenix, and he's already unhappy. He's already whining about it. No, 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 Kevin. Wow. You you can you can stay. Uh, you can I, stay in Phoenix. You can lose in round one. I'm much more forgiving. I have much more grace than Andrew. And <laughs> I also just want to win a championship. So <laughs> I'd welcome back with open arms. I think this team is going to have a chance to win a championship, whether they deal for Kevin Durant or not. Uh, yes, but can they win three championships, which is what they would win if KD came? <laughs> they would. Uh, I don't know. Kevin Kevin has a. I don't. He's got some stink on him right now that I don't want want with this organization. I can't right deny now. the stink. He does have a lot of stink. There is a pattern. There's a pattern <laughs> that's point. occurring where he guts a team of their assets, arrives, and then when things don't go well, he gets a little pissy. And yeah. then he wants to leave. I mean, in I'm reality, out. I'm just so out. In reality, even this, even if this could happen, I don't think the Thunder would be willing to give up quite the package that would push Phoenix over the edge. Because I think right now with Phoenix, I mean, everyone's always available for trade if you offer a dumb enough trade offer. Yeah, yeah. I, I just don't think that the Thunder would offer that level of trade offer. Because mm-hmm. you think about what they traded him traded for him. Mm-hmm. They traded Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, three unprotected first, and I believe three unprotected swaps. Yeah. Like, the Thunder aren't getting close to that. Yeah. So they're not getting back, like, a neutral trade. Yeah. They're, they're going to be taking a hit no matter what. Yeah, they will. And I just don't think, as a new owner, who the guy who green-lighted that trade as his first move, a year later, he's not going to be like, okay, give me 50 cents back yeah. of my original dollar, and I'm happy with it. I know. And... I mean, it's it's been a lot of like the subsequent deals that have been made that have really killed them. Like just the idea of like, even though they didn't give up a ton for Beal, it's like just the idea of like trading for Brad Beal and that being some kind of solution. It's just, I mean, it screams new owner. And the fact, I mean, it's it's wild that like they get rid of Monty, who had the problem with Aiton, and then they also trade Aiton, and they don't get back a ton. 
I mean, they they have they have really destroyed like any future in Phoenix whatsoever. Really poor asset management. Yeah, um, maybe not on the level. Actually, I would say on the level of the Pistons. Yeah, yeah. De- I mean, definitely. It's. I mean, it's bad. It's going to be really bad. And if I'm the Thunder, I wait for for the Devin Booker thing sure. to unfold. Yeah, I just like the fact that we're talking about it because I remember listening to Phoenix Pods a couple of years ago saying, yeah. "Let's just wait for Shea. Let's yeah. wait for Shea. Pair him up with Booker." Yeah. And now it's like they've good luck. Let somebody else get Kevin. Let Booker get unhappy. You bring Booker here, and like he's younger, he's been more healthy. He's had some injury issues, but he's been more healthy than Kevin has lately. He's a, a good defender. He's become a really good defender. You pair him with Shea. Oh boy, dude. Oh boy, they would dominate. They they would destroy. They would be. Uh, we we got to stop talking about it. And I also I also like I I just I love this Thunder team. Like I just, it would be so cool if like this was like the team that was Plus Kevin Durant <laughs> without Kevin Durant that maybe. that got there because like SGA, Chet and J Dub have like the the NBA DNA to be a championship level team themselves without having to make some big deal, and I I, I do believe in that. I I think that. Uh, at least for this year, I think what we'll, you know, I'm just projecting, but in the playoffs, I feel like our takeaway is going to be we just need a little bit more off the bench. Because mm-hmm. I think if if we're getting any Usman Jang minutes in the playoffs, I think... No, we're not. We're not. We didn't even get it last night. But but I'm saying, like, there is a point on this roster yeah. in the playoffs where I feel like it will become obvious, like, we need something. Yeah. Well, that's in place of this. Well, that's that's why I would look to the Brooklyn Nets and say, "Hey, how do we get Dorian Finney-Smith on this team?" Yeah, DFS. Someone asked about are there one or two guys, one or two reasonable guys to improve this team? Yeah, I mean, this was a uh, Donnie Hazelwood asked that question. I mean, I would, I would call, I would call them, and I would try to get not only Dorian Finney-Smith, I would try to get Royce O'Neal too. I would try to get both of them. Hedge your bets. One's got to work out. I think they're both good. They are both good. And you're talking about like the Thunder want to play small. They showed that last night. Those are two guys that I think can help you play the way you want to play. Royce O'Neal is a good player. Royce O'Neal is a good passer. He's a good shooter. He's a pretty good defender. Dorian Finney-Smith, a really good shooter, wing defender. He's a big wing. He's big. He's 6'7", 220. And the nice thing about him is he's already had stretches playing power forward. In yeah. Like, like a couple of years ago in Dallas, he played 78% of his minutes yeah. at power forward. He's great. So it's someone you can play in that J-dub role and maybe can be off the bench. Um, but you could also play him in a starting lineup next to Chet and it would work yeah, as well. Yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great. So like you could give up Bertans, Vava, Poku. Wow, you're giving up Vava. And whatever... Like you can give him like a nice first rounder for Finney Smith, who has three years or two years after this left. Yeah, that's nice on his deal, and it maxes out at fifteen million, which is unbelievable. And then Royce O'Neal is expiring, so like those two, those are the like in this. It's a small move, but it changes. I mean, if you have both those guys coming off the bench, like you could probably. Cl- I mean, you close games with Finney Smith. You could, you know. Yeah. 
And you could even close games with Royce O'Neal. I mean, this, that would help so much. My only thing, though, is if you're Brooklyn, you are 500 right now. You're firmly in the play-in zone. Yeah. You know, you're ahead of whoever the 11th seed is right now. I think it's the Hawks. Um, by a couple games. So, like, you're feeling pretty good. Yeah. You're three games up on the Hawks to fall out of the plan. Yeah. Why would you trade really high-quality role players when you yourself are really only one trade away? And maybe that is Donovan Mitchell. Like, if you could get Donovan Mitchell a couple months from now, you'd probably want Dorian Finney-Smith and or Royce O'Neal still on the roster at that point. Because you want to surround him with guys like that who can hit threes, defend... Yeah. Wings. Yeah. So, I mean, they have Mikhail and they have Cam. They have Cam. I just feel like you you would, to get this deal done, I think you need to incentivize them a little more. Yeah. To, to, to really do it. Because remember, they don't have their picks. There's no benefit for them to tank, to ever bottom out. Yeah. Yeah. You could give them two first. Why not? Uh, someone asked a question, Andrew, and I, I wanted to make sure we get to this. Uh, who was it? They were asking you about Dort. They said that they had just sent you a message. Dort! They wanted you to talk about, here we, here we are, at the OG chicken underscore, Andrew, I just tweeted at you, you need to talk about how good Dort has been this season. I, I made them angry. Uh, there wasn't anything angry. In <laughs> but I want to talk about Dort, too, because I wrote some things down. By the way, did you hear me? How many games has J-Dub taken at least six threes in his career? Oh, uh, I don't know. I didn't hear you. It was three. Wow. Was three. One of them was last night. Wow. Uh, okay, Dort. Did you, did you hear him after the game? What are you saying? <laughs> he, was, he was really funny. Because I, I asked him about, like, you know, what's going through your head when you knock down that second three. Yeah. He said he wanted to take a third one so bad, but he knew that if he did, that Mark would sit him down. What? And so, <laughs> why would Mark sit him down? I don't know. He just, and he, Mark even mentioned after the game that, like, he had the wherewithal to not take the third three and to make the play that was in front of him and not to, like, heat check. Basically, Mark doesn't like heat checks. I guess Mark Mark is against heat checks, which is really lame. Wow, which is the uh, but I mean, not for Bertons because I feel like Bert, Bert, every, every Berton shot dude, is Bert, a heat check. Yeah, I was gonna say Bertons is a heat check, and like that's why he doesn't play very much. <laughs> but uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Dort is currently shooting forty-one percent from three over Ooh. twenty-seven games. Woo! Now that sounds amazing. It is, and it is. But I did look it up. He has actually had two of these stretches before, over 27 games. Yeah. Now, they were last year, and they were overlapping. So it was like November 11th to January 6th, yeah. he shot 41% from three. And then uh, November 30th to February 10th, he shot 41% from three. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting, though, is, th- th- and this is good and bad. So he's taking the fewest above-the-break threes of his career, at least mm-hmm. since his rookie season. Mm-hmm. He's shooting 47% on his above-the-break threes. Wow. That feels like some regression to the mean coming. Because previous seasons, 30.6, 31.5, 32.2. He's been very consistent above the break. But he's also taking career high in corner threes Mm -hmm. and only shooting 34%. Previous years, 40%, 43%, 44%. So I do think there's a regression coming both ways. Question is, which happens first? If it's his above the break threes, we're going to see some bad Dort games where he continues to not shoot the ball well from the corners, and now he's shooting like 30% from above the break. Yeah. The other thing I would men- mention is in the restricted area, career high. 2.3 attempts per game, career low for that, 57.1%. Yeah. Last year, 48.6% in the restricted area. Wow. 
Uh, the year before that, 54.7%. year before that, 50.3%. Overall, he's at 61% true shooting. Wow. Which is easily a career high for Dort. Yeah, this has been kind of the Dort we dreamed about. Yeah. Once upon a time. Like, could you eventually just put enough good guys on this team where naturally everything just settles and Dort settles into a role that makes a lot of sense for him? And that has definitely happened this season. And we'll see if that begins to happen with Giddy, because I do think last night was an example of that. Yeah. Giddy settling into a new role as well. Um, because of those top three guys, like that shot distribution last night, like that's what you want to see. Oh, yeah. You had Shea at 19, Chet second at 13, J Dub third at 11, Dort at nine, and then Giddy at seven. Like that's great. Yeah. That's great. That's that's how it that's what it feels like it should be like. Especially when the guys are hitting 14 of 19, 8 of 13, 7 of 11, <laughs> 7 of 9. <laughs> Dort was 7 of 9. Um, so yeah, so Dort has been great. I I don't think he's going to end the season shooting 41% from three. But he has some room to improve on the corner threes to get back to where he was. So I do think we are potentially looking at a, a career best three-point shooting season for Dort. Yeah, I think it's it's something that he's been talking about over the past couple of years is that he really wants to be a better decision maker. And yeah. and for him, decision making is different than with like Shea or Giddy or Dub or even Chet. The decision is like, do I shoot it or don't die? Or where do I move on the court to receive the pass? Yeah. Like those are the decisions that he has to make. And he's been so much better. I mean, every shot that he took last night felt like it was wide open. He's also been better at the rim. Like, that's been a huge thing for him. And I don't, he was good at the rim to start last season. So I want to see if that continues because he did not finish well <laughs> toward the end of the season at the rim. But he's been really good and he's been great defensively. He's settling into this role where he just takes open shots. He's going to go cold at some point and then he'll heap up back. I mean, he's streaky. This yeah. is just how he is. But if he can settle in at like 36% from three, and teams at least have to think about him. And he doesn't settle in at 30%. Or what was he, 33% last year? If he can settle in at like between 36, 37% from three, like that's ideal. That's the kind, I mean, that's the kind of player that we like talked about and wished for. Somebody like, like Tabo's best seasons were that, you know, but he didn't take that many threes. Uh, we always just would always talk about. If we could take another player and merge them with Andre Robertson, then they could become yeah. you know, the great. Like he, he's becoming like that kind of player, and he shoots it well from the free throw line, which I think is big. Because I remember like Andre going to the free throw line with those Kevin Durant yeah, teams was just sure. like, oh my gosh, like it was a disaster. But he can he shoots it well from the free throw line and has like throughout his career, he's shooting it well from three this year, and he's shooting it well from two. A career high from two, 47%. He was 38% from two last year, 40% the year before, 38% the year before, 39% the year before. I mean, he's been really bad from two. Um, like Not as bad as. Like, let's get, let's get, oh, those are, uh, I just listed all his field goal, field goal percentage, not from two, but 46% from two last year, 58% from two. No, I'm, I'm reading the wrong ones over and over again. 44% from two last year, 51% this year. He j he's been so much better 
in every aspect. And I think it just comes down to he's taking the right shots, he's taking less shots, and he's contributing in in a way that is just so helpful for him. Where like he's going to have similar to like Dorian Finney-Smith, like one of the better contracts in the league, you know, in the next like couple of years because he was making fifteen million. He's starting. I don't think anybody thinks like Dort shouldn't be starting. You know, we haven't had that conversation, which is great. And a lot of it is, like, he's just better. He's a better decision maker. Um, yeah, he's out of the Van Vliet zone, which uh, Fred, he's, Fred he's Van Vliet. He's out of the FVV zone. Now, I, I texted Andrew the other day because I was asking them if they knew what Fred Van Vliet was shooting at the rim, which at that time was like 38%. Yeah. He has, he has improved. It's up to 45% on cleaning the glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, he's, he's probably the worst finisher, high-volume finisher in the league. Yeah. Uh, Rudy Gobert took only his 15th three of his career last night. You remember that shot? It was an out-of-bounds play. Yeah. Looks like it was designed for a Gobert three. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, listen to this. So I mentioned Giddy only took seven field goals last night. Yeah. How many games in his career do you think he's taken seven or fewer field goals? Oh, wow. This is now his third season. That's a great question. He usually plays a lot of minutes. That's right. I'd say like three. I don't know. It's been in games where he's played at least 25 minutes, which mm-hmm. he did last night, because mm-hmm. he did have some games where he was injured, so he didn't take a lot of shots. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was three. He's wow. Played, he's had three games where he's played at least 25 minutes okay. and took seven or fewer field goal attempts. Hmm. It's only the third time this season Giddy has had a usage under 20, because that, that was the other wow. thing. And as a reminder, usage does not take into account assists. So that is just like mostly you scoring, yeah, um, getting to the line, things mm-hmm. like that. His usage in that starting lineup has been the highest, just within that lineup, even higher than Shea's through the early part of this season. Wow. So, again, like him taking fewer shots, focusing more on playmaking. He didn't even have a good rebounding night last night. I think he only had two rebounds. Yeah. But, like, that is the type of player, the type of role. Now, to be clear, like, that is a very different player than we were talking about this summer. Mm -hmm. So, there has to be some adjustment there. Like, I don't know if you give that player a huge extension, but yeah. that, that's a question for another day. And we're talking yeah. about one game. Um, yeah, we need to see him. He needs to continue to evolve if he wants to fit on this team. And I it, agree. And it becomes, how can we utilize his passing when he's in the middle of the floor, which is something they did last, last night? How do we get him to play in transition? And how do you get him to be a opportunistic scorer and a better, like, overall rebounder? And what do you do when... Like, if they had guarded him with Gobert last night, because I still don't feel like they yeah. have figured that out yet because all of a sudden teams stop, stop doing it. Yeah. Um, like, why the Wolves didn't go with that approach as opposed to putting Gobert on Chet, which I just... Maybe, I mean, maybe they did that because they looked at the first game where Chet looked way out of sorts. Mm-hmm. But now that you've seen this version of Chet against Gobert, how could you go back to that? Yeah. Like, just put Towns or, or, or McDaniels on him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's a good question, and I think it's something that we'll have to answer, you know, over the course of the next, you know, forty games or so to like really figure out who is Josh Giddy with this team, and I think he like he's got to answer that question. Mark has to figure that out. It's something that they have to collaborate on because he's extension eligible this summer. You kind of have to figure out if he fits with this team, and that's. Part of something that I think that they'll have to figure out through the playoffs, 
And, you know, if he, maybe he figures it out or maybe he's the Jeff Green of this era, you know, and gets dealt for a piece that becomes part of the starting lineup. I mean, we just don't know yet. I still think, like, the approach is going to be patient. He's still really young. He's only 21 years old. I think they're going to try to figure it out. But if he can just be, like, the connector piece, is like the that's kind of what we had talked about with him all along. You know, it's like he was like a super connector. But what if he? What if he's not a super connector? What if he's just like a really good connecting piece? Some and he's going to have to shoot the ball better. But like kind of what Lonzo was for the Bulls. You know, as an offensive player, like he just gets some churning, playing faster, and is just a guy that who's going to make good decisions. And I think Josh still has that in him. It it felt like to start the season, the way that Josh was playing was to like prove a point to people. You know, prove that he could get to the free throw line. Prove that he could be somebody that could do more. And it did not work. And it ended up making him look really bad, honestly. But I think if he can accept a lesser role, accept taking open shots when he has them, driving when he has the opportunity, and just being like a ridiculous passer, a really good rebounder, you know, they still need big guys. I mean, even though they play small, Josh helps in that he is six foot eight. You know, you can play four guards with Chet because like one of your guards is six foot eight. And so I I think he's there's still a place for him and they need to kind of figure that out. And we kind of saw like what a good version of that looks like last night. Um yeah, and the bigger question for Giddy would be, you know, he knows what he did the last two seasons. Yeah. Does he want that? Like does yeah. he want a lesser role? It's a great question. Does he does he want to be a part of that? And the answer may be no. And I wouldn't and I wouldn't blame him at all if the answer were no from him that he doesn't want to be the fourth guy. Yeah. You know, which is what he would become. And on some nights he's the fifth guy, and some nights he's the sixth or seventh guy. You know, is he willing to take that on? I wonder if he is he kind of has it in his DNA a little bit because that's who his dad was as a pro was like this ultimate teammate. He wasn't the star of the show. You know, I I wonder if he can adjust to be that kind of player because he, I mean, he was he was the star of Australian basketball this past summer. He he showed that he's capable of doing a lot. Um, but when you play with an All-NBA guard and you play with a potential All-NBA center and you play a J-Dub is, you know, a potential All-Star, you know, you don't have the room to do that. And so it's going to be a question that the Thunder and Josh, like you said, are going to have to answer over the next, you know, year or so. Um, let's do some rapid-fire Thunder Twitter questions. Let's do it. At WMORO11, what NBA players would you trade SGA straight up for? Jokic. Yeah, I think, like, if you're going to answer this, the only sober, rational answer would be Jokic. I also think it's completely fine to say no one. I think it's fine to say no one. I think Jokic, just because like he's been the best player in the NBA, and, and and he also just doesn't get hurt, and he's like, it's so crazy to think about this, but like he's uh, at least a year, if not two years, younger than Embiid. Yeah, which, which helps out too. I mean, he's twenty eight right now. Uh, he's he's a year younger than Embiid. Yeah, um, but I think of Embiid as being younger than Jokic. I think. Yeah, 
Jokic just looks old. Yeah. Um, that that is the only player because you would still have like probably another like solid five peak years potentially. Yeah. As long as he doesn't want to leave basketball. And it's like, hey, we got horses here too, bro. We do. We got lots of horses. Great here. state for horses. Yeah. He could start his own track. He could. And it'd probably be big. Probably do well. It would be amazing. Uh, next question. At 31 Savage, worst Christmas movie. I'm only asking this because uh, Jay is not here. So I can say (laughs) what I have been saying in our uh, group chat for the last week, which is that Polar Express is awful. It was terrible. I had never watched it, and Jay said it was one of his favorite movies. And so I was like, you know what? Finally, I'll watch it. My kid likes trains. Why not? I'll check this out. It looked like a Bethesda game if you've played any of like the Fallout games like the facial animations looked like a blooper reel from some Bethesda video game that just came out it is terrifying which I didn't initially notice this but Taylor uh, Taylor Dickerson he immediately responded that movie's so scary there should be a horror movie it's a yeah. Halloween movie yeah. it is some of the facial expressions are so disturbing and there's creepy people in the movie uh, listen it's recency bias, but I think it might be the worst. There's a reason why they haven't made another Christmas movie like that. The, if they just updated the animation, I think I would have enjoyed it. Yeah. The animation threw me off the entire time. They could update the animation, keep all the same like voiceover stuff, and just like Although do... I, it did bother me that Tom Hanks was the voice of like 10 people. He was in that the movie. voice of so many people. Because you one. could hear him in every person. It wasn't like his voice was that different, <laughs> which also <laughs> threw me off. <laughs> Uh, Any movies you hate? Uh, you see this movie, Christmas Shoes. It's just like too sad. It's like they Christmas were like shoes. trying to make a sad movie. It's like this this kid whose mom is dying, and oh, she just no. wants these shoes, and he oh, like goes and buys these shoes. And there's like a song that goes along with it. It's too much. Yeah, I don't, I don't need sad. It's just too in much. My Christmas there, there's, movies. I mean, there's a lot of fun Christmas movies out there. There's one. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's called Switch. Have you seen Switch. it? Have you watched it? The, wait, the Adam Sandler movie? No, 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 no. Isn't that what that movie was called though? No, that was called Click. Click. Also <laughs> sad. Also like unnecessarily <laughs> sad movie that like we don't need in our lives. Uh, it's good. It's uh, it's got Freaky Friday vibes. Okay. You know, like the it's so like the the dad and the son like switch bodies. And the mom and the daughter switch bodies, and the baby and the dog switch bodies. Oh, very nice. Um, it's great. It's pretty funny. Uh, Luke bought me a gift for Christmas. He bought me on DVD, which I didn't tell him this, but I had yeah. no way to play it. <laughs> uh, he bought me the Muppet Family Christmas. Oh, the Muppet Family Christmas DVD. The old man's favorite Christmas movie. Yeah, I took my uh, my 18 month old over there, and he was just uh, wrecking Luke's Legos. And, and Luke was so I could I could tell he was being nice, but he was like, "Oh, Callum, why don't you give me that? Why don't you give me that? I'll put it back together for you. I'll put it back together." <laughs> Like, uh, Luke no. could never have kids. Yeah, okay. His his house is not made for not 18 month old kids for sure. Uh at Peterman 33, is Monty Williams contract the worst in sports history? Wow. You, I, I, we got to ask. You, you can know? make you can make the case for it to go this bad this quick. And and for Monty, like a guy oh. who even with what how everything went down in Phoenix was still regarded like he's very well respected coach yeah. in the league. If if this is the end for him, you know, even if like they eventually turn it around, but like for him to have this record, yeah, 
when he like clearly didn't want the job, but eventually the money was just too good where yeah. he had to take it, and this is the payoff. You wonder. Well, he 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 probably just take the money. I mean, it, it's it's really good money. It's great money. But you do wonder. Does he have any regrets? Like, maybe I should have just waited. I, if I really wanted to coach again, I probably could have gotten another <laughs> job. Yeah, this probably does end it for him, but he does. I mean, maybe. I mean, this is this is a little conspiracy. He didn't want the job. He clearly still doesn't want the job. Yeah, maybe he was just trying to get fired. Maybe he's trying to get fired. Maybe he's like, you know what? Don't fire Troy. I'll fall on the sword. This is my fault. That would be this is my fault, and the, and like the whole thing is such a mess because like it wasn't even Troy that wanted to hire Monty. I know, like not only that, but like it felt like everyone from the reporting from like James Edwards and others, like everyone in that organization wanted somebody else as yeah. a coach. Yeah, and it just came down to the owner being like, "No, this is my guy. Yeah, I want my guy." That's the that's the biggest thing is, and this is why like owner, we talk about like ownership like being like your biggest competitive advantage. An owner that doesn't step in and say, like, we need to do this. Like, Troy didn't want to draft Cade. Troy didn't want to hire Monty. Those are probably the two two of the biggest decisions to make. Is, like, who are drafting number one and who are we going to hire as our coach? And if you don't allow your GM to make the, either of those decisions, like, what you are creating a mess for your organization. And I'm not even saying Cade was the wrong pick, but if you don't give your general manager the ability to do the, the most important things for your team, then you're just kind of screwed from the beginning. And they have been, it's been really bad. Monty probably does have one of the worst contracts in sports. I'm sure who was, uh, Oh, Tillman said that about CP three's contract. Yeah. Uh, Ended up being very wrong. Yeah. Very wrong about that. Poor Tillman. Yeah. Uh, at Midnight Ross, now you can't answer this question, Andrew. Maybe you can. Uh, on a scale of Monopoly to Ark Nova, how good is this team? Now, <laughs> you know Monopoly. Ark Nova is a zoo building game. I don't. Yeah, I don't know Ark Nova. I actually play with uh, Midnight Ross on oh, Game Arena. Nice online. Nice. Um, listen, I'm not going to say they're Ark Nova because that would suggest that they're like the best team. That, yeah. that would be the if that's the highest rating. So I'm yeah. going to give them a wingspan. Hmm. Uh, game of the year a couple years ago. It's yeah. uh, about bird watching. Okay. Yeah. Uh, very good game. Deserved expansions. Wow. Very popular. Um, always enjoy playing. It has a great adaptation on Nintendo Switch. You wow. You should try it out. Wow. And so I, I put them right there. So still very high. But uh, Midnight Ross, this is what I don't like about Board Game Arena. Everyone can see your stats, so he knows that I play Ark Nova all the time by, <laughs> by myself against, against usually uh, guys – over in China, who yeah. are experts? Because you can wow. see their flag, and I feel like oh. I always get matched up against. Literally, it says expert. Yeah, over in China, who just destroys me. Wow! So it's very rare that I win, but I love it so much, and that was, that's what make a good game. Good game. You play coconuts? I've never played coconuts. It's great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll try it out. I'll look it up. Have you seen it? No, I haven't even seen it. I don't get all these it like little. Each person has like this. Uh, little monkey that has his hands out like this okay. and, you, and you put this little green coconut in their hand and you like flick it into these cups oh that is called a dexterity game yeah dexterity game mm, interesting it, uh it's, i do like dexterity games. it's so fun and my it's funny because my five-year-old is better than all of us at it really he just crushes us they got any time. pro leagues 
we got to look into it. He could join. He, he could be. He could be the best coconuts player of all time. Uh, what do you think about this question? Because we've talked about this before, but I do think it's interesting now that they've lost twenty-seven games in a row. At Boy Bridgman, looking at how the Pistons organi- organization drafts, how much mm-hmm. do you think the old Thunder type was a product of Sam delegating and trusting Troy Weaver? Now that Troy is drafting the same way in Detroit, do you think the new type is what Sam always wanted for those KD Russ teams? <laughs> I I think that's a little. I mean, I think there were some players that were definitely like this type, but like you look at like James Harden. Is yeah. not like that type. He's not that type. You know, and he was chosen at the top. He like Harden is like the kind of player that would like fit on this kind of team, especially early on in his career. Yeah. You know, shoot pass dribble, like not not terribly dissimilar to what J Dub is. I'm not even I know that he didn't shoot, but I'm not even sure that like Steven Adams necessarily fits that mold exactly. Yeah. I I don't I think that there were some, certainly, some players that fit that mold where I think like like Troy was credited with drafting, like being the guy to, you know, get Westbrook. You know, yeah, like Troy, Westbrook falls into that. For yeah, sure. but I, I don't think I think that we that's a little bit overplayed. And like even even guys like and I know this guy didn't work out, but like Mitch McGarry. Mitch McGarry is not that kind of yeah, he was not, not that, that kind of player. Right. He was a first round pick. Campaign he was, was isn't really campaign that was not that. I think it's a way overthought, and and some of it was like the role players that they brought in. Which they had already gotten their core, and the kinds of players that both Kevin and Russell wanted to play with were like rangy athletes that could switch, and and some of that is just like the the core that they had, not necessarily like Troy or Sam having their like complete like handprints on it. It was like they need to like this team needs to run and they need to be switchable because we have like these stars that could thrive in that way. And they did for a long time. So I, I think that's a little bit overplayed. Um, I also just think Troy has, I think a lot of people look at what Troy has done in the draft and some of it was like his, his owner. And then some of it is him. You know, I don't think Jaden Ivy was the right guy. I, you know, you can't play multiple, you know, bigs has been like one of his biggest thing is like, he's been, you know, hell bent on acquiring, these bigs that have like draft pedigree, but don't that haven't been good in the league and Marvin Bagley and James Wiseman. Like, why did you do that? Why did he do those trades? I mean, he traded a wing in Sadiq Bay for James Wiseman. Sadiq Bay would help them a ton. I guarantee you, if they had Sadiq Bay on their team, they would not have lost 27 games in a row, which is saying a lot because it's not like he's some amazing player. Yeah, but, but just he, to have a guy who can shoot. Yes, he's just a competent enough wing to put out there. I mean, like, they. Last night they subbed out. I can't remember who it was. They subbed subbed in Alec Burks. You know, at the end of the game, like Alec Burks is like a big part of what they're doing, and it's like if Alec Burks is a big part of what you're doing, there's a big problem. And him being terrible this season is also one of the reasons why they've lost. Yeah, he's been so bad. Last year he shot actually less. Look at listen to this. Last year, forty one percent from three. Wow. Year before that, forty percent. Year before that, forty two percent. Year before that, forty two percent. He's currently shooting 33%. That is huge because he was supposed to be, along with Bogdanovich, one of the guys who could give them some relief shooting. Career 38%. And some of that is like the – he is like one of the only guys like, hey, yeah, just like stick somebody to him and like you don't have to worry because like he's he's not going to make contested threes. Like he'll make open threes, but I'm sure he's not even getting any open threes. I mean, it's been – 
it's it's such a, a mess there in Detroit, and it's it's not going to end well. I can tell, and I and I still like some of the pieces they have individually. I still really like Asar Thompson. I still really like Cade Cunningham. You know, if they can just get like some actual shooting around those guys, I think they'd be okay. Um, Jam Packard asked, "The goals can't get three points in the Premier League. What's up with that?" Hey, listen, Jam, we've got a lot of injuries right now. Sam this, Jam Packard. This year's about Europa League. Uh, we made it to the knockout stage. Who cares about the Premier League? We're not getting relegated. Let's go. Uh, final question. <laughs> is I think I wonder if they deleted it. They were asking, I thought it would be a good way to end it, tonight the Thunder play. They play the New York Knicks. Yeah. And someone had asked, what are the, uh, you know, main way, main concerns with the Knicks? What we should we be looking for tonight other than stopping Jalen Brunson? Uh, which, by the way, there was actually another, where did all these questions go? Someone asked, um, has there ever been a player who had, like, a celebration or a quirk or something that bothered you? Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't think of a Thunder one, but I will say that Jalen Brunson's smelling the webbing of his fingers that he does. I don't like that. <laughs> Why does he do that? That's a weird one. If, if I was a fan of the Knicks, I would probably be into it and do it and think it was cool, but from I the outside, I, just, I, don't, I don't like that celebration. <laughs> it grosses me out. It is a weird one. Yeah. The, oh, that was from uh, Simon Eat Dog. I would say like one of the biggest concerns when I thought about this game earlier on in the season was Mitchell Robinson, who's yeah, like one, of the, one of the best offensive rebounders of like all time ever. Not, not this season, of <laughs> all time. He's so good. Uh, Randall's still a concern just because he has been he hadn't been taking as many outside shots this year. Has been like running more pick and roll and has been really good lately. And he's just kind of like a bowling ball to the rim right now, as is Brunson. Amino quickly off the bench has been kind of a microwave score lately. Like that's definitely a concern. But you know the the Knicks are a good solid team that like, could definitely beat the Thunder tonight. You know they could. They're, they're this kind of team where they tend to be kind of inefficient on offense. I don't want to say by design, but like they because of Mitchell Robinson, they were able to be successful because he collected so many offensive rebounds yeah. that they would always get so many second chances. Yeah, Hartenstein is still a very good center yeah he is but he's not mitchell robinson and yeah. so it, i do think it'll be an interesting game especially on the second night of a back-to-back that's kind of a tough back-to-back playing minnesota and then having to play the knicks next so, yeah. which i mean the knicks are just notoriously you know grimy you know yeah. it's a tibbs team yeah so to have to play them on the second night of the back-to-back at least it's at home but yeah if they lost tonight would not shock me at all yeah um just because the knicks can be annoying to play yeah yeah i i I mean, I think the Thunder are a better team than they are, but yeah, the Knicks—they've got a ton of, they've got a lot of talent. None of, I mean, my, my wife, my wife was even asking me like, "Who's on the Knicks? Like, who even plays for the Knicks? Do they even have any players?" <laughs> it's like, I was like, "You know, Jalen Brunson." She's like, "No, like, you know, Julius Randle." No, like, they have some of like the most like mediocre like names for like stars on their team. It's true. Like, you know, RJ Barrett. Like, no, I don't know RJ Barrett. Yeah, I don't know who you would even say is like their biggest names, like most recognizable to the just av- casual basketball watcher. I don't know that they have a. It'd probably a, be Tibbs. I feel like people would be more likely to know who Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, is. that's possible. That it's it's kind of a. I mean, they're good, but it's kind of a blah roster for the most part. But they're solid. Like they're seventeen and twelve. I think they're six in the Eastern Conference right now. Like they're they're a good team. And like one to take seriously, 
it was funny because Mark, and this kind of like gives you like a peek behind the curtain of like what the regular season is like for these teams. But Mark said like he, yeah, he's like I haven't. He's like the only time that I've watched the Knicks this season was between bites at lunch on Christmas. <laughs> you know he hasn't he hadn't watched the Knicks, and so I think I mean that that to me was kind of an interesting point. Um, hey, Todd Gibson. Todd Gibson's on the team. Former Thunderer. Still getting minutes. He's playing now. Um, Fred Katz is in town. <clears throat> Fred oh, was at the, at the game last night. Fred is actually going to come on the OKC Dream Team pod today. Very nice. To talk about the Thunder past, present, and future. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah. I, I mean, the Thunder are better than the Knicks. They should beat them. But the Knicks are solid. And they have if like if RJ's got it going and Julius has got it going, you know Brunson has had it going all season. Brunson's been amazing. Brunson, you know he's shooting from three. He's shooting forty five percent from three on six attempts per game. Mm. I mean that's insane. It's pretty good. That's what we want J Dub doing. Forty five percent on one hundred and eighty five threes this season, Jalen Brunson. I mean that's sick. <laughs> That's yeah, sick. <laughs> that's incredibly sick. Uh, yeah. And I'm, that's why I think uh, somebody asked, like, what do the Thunder need? This is going to sound like uh, something they definitely don't need because they've been so good at it. But I think shooting is still something I want on this team. Yeah. And it's less about having a guy who can shoot 40% because we do have a lot of those guys. But it's more about can we find, like, a, a really high-volume three-point shooter? Yeah. Other than Isaiah Joe, who who has obviously been very good, yeah. But I, I just feel like if they had a high volume three point shooter, especially in that starting lineup, yeah, it would unlock so much for them. And maybe that can be Dub. Maybe that can be Chet. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but, Chet Chet just Chet probably pump fakes and does more shot fakes than anybody ever. I, know. I think once he once he stops doing that, once he, <laughs> once he's comfortable with taking twenty shots a game, I think we'll be fine. Because then he'll just he'll fire him up all the time. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, how many? Finney Smith didn't take enough. He takes five per game. Honestly, that's 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 solid in his role. Because how many minutes is he playing per night? He's only taking eight shots per game. See, he's perfect. He's perfect, isn't he? Yeah, no, I think he is too. Yeah, shooting forty four percent from three this year on five attempts per game. In only uh, twenty nine minutes. Twenty nine minutes. And let's go look at his three-point attempt rate, 67%. That's good. Yeah. That's all I'm looking for. Free throw, free throw attempt rate, 4.3. And his nickname is Dodo. Dodo. Okay, I got to go. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. We'll have another pod for you on Friday with the Fry Pod crew, plus Alex, I think. I think. I think. Uh, enjoy the Knicks game. We'll talk to you guys again on Friday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.